Thank you, men. Praise the Lord. Jesus indeed has paid it all. Our sin debt is paid in full. We have something to rejoice in. We have something to be jubilant about. In God's providence, they were scheduled to play that some time back, but God postponed it just so it could be the introduction to my sermon this morning. Should I join them? <laughs> no, I can't play my ram's horn. But you know, they just played, and if we were to describe it in Hebrew, we would describe it as a jubilee. This morning, we're going to look at what a jubilee is and how fascinating it is in relation to music. When we hear the word jubilee, we think of a celebration. We think of a special significant event. Um, that's a modern use of the term. If we think of the term in its biblical sense, perhaps we think of that great year that came in the Jewish calendar every 50 years when a jubilee was declared throughout all the land, and it was a wonderful year. This morning, we're going to look and see what the jubilee was in history, what that word means, and how it relates to the topic of music. It's a joy for us this week to have Sarah Morris with us, and she has been teaching on music yes, Friday night, yesterday, and then she'll continue this week with us on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and um, she's one of our missionaries and serving in the Philippines, and one of her primary things beyond discipleship is discipleship through music and in teaching people how to put together music so that they can take the jubilee in their hearts and in the Word of God and bring it forth in song and in music. And so, with her being here this week, I thought it appropriate that we look at this topic of music, and I find it fascinating how it relates to the concept and idea of the jubilee. I have a ram's horn here. And you just heard a bunch of other horns, you know, they've gotten real sophisticated over the years. But the very simplest ram's horn. We often know this by its Hebrew name, as a shofar, right? Here is a shofar. But did you know that in your Hebrew Bible, this instrument has another name? It is a jubal. And the root word, the Hebrew root word, underlying that word, is related to the idea of the movement of something from one place to another place. Literally described, it is the movement of air from here through the ram's horn out here into your ear canal and you hear the vibrations, that sound. It speaks of the movement of air. It's a stream. The word is used to actually describe a stream of water. But it's also here in this context, the stream of air that is pictured or quite literally described as flowing through the horn and making a jubilant sound. In our English word, we've described the word jubilant not so much as this idea of the movement of sound or the movement of one thing to another, but of exciting joy. 
the expression of joy, the excitement of good news. Children are jubilant about many different little trinkets and little things. Us adults are a little bit harder to excite. But how often do we get excited and jubilant where it comes forth in song? So if our brass group here were to be named, we could call them the Jubilee. They are literally blowing air through their horns, and that is literally a Jubilee. So that's a good name for you all to consider for your group, the Jubilee Brass, of all that flowing through. But where and why does it have the idea of joy? Where does that come from? Well, for us to know and understand that, take your Bibles and turn with me back to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. We have recorded for us here in Leviticus a very fascinating law that God gave to his people in the nation of Israel. It was called the year of Jubilee. It was a year of rejoicing. The year was introduced with the blowing of trumpets. Jubilee. In fact, some places in the Bible, the shofar is called the Jubilee. It's the Jubilee, especially um, in the days of Joshua. It was referred to in the march around Jericho, that blowing of the trumpets, that celebration in God's deliverance and victory over Jericho. But look with me in Leviticus chapter 25 as we see the history of the Jubilee. It says this in verse 8, And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years, and the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. You know your multiplication table? Seven times seven is forty-nine. And in that forty-ninth year, then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month in the day of atonement. Shall ye make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. And ye shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land and to all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and ye shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall return every man unto his family. God had set up a special system in the land of Israel that actually had to do quite a bit with the literal land, the dirt. Every year was called, a, or every seven years, was a sabbatical year. It was when they would plant year after year, that seventh year they would leave the fields alone. They wouldn't plant anything. They wouldn't harvest anything. And this was to give the land, the soil, the dirt a break. And it's fascinating because now when we have all of our fancy scientific method and we look back on this, we find out that, guess what? Dirt needs a break. And that's one reason why farmers have kind of come up with another way nowadays of rotating crops because they know that the nutritions are depleted from the soil and it needs a break. It needs something different. 
And in this structure, it was an actual literal break. They didn't just rotate crops. They gave the soil a break and they left it alone. And that happened every seven years. That was called a sabbatical year. But then they had another structure is what's being described here is the year of Jubilee. So every seven years, there would be the sabbatical year. But every seven sevens, that means the 49th year, they would declare an extra sabbatical year, specifically the year of Jubilee. So every seven years, the land would be left, and then every 50 years, there'd be an extra year of the land being left alone. But the year of Jubilee was special in more, in more ways than just having to do with the farming. The year of Jubilee had to do with a whole other aspect of the economy of that time. If you go down and read through the rest of this chapter, which I encourage you to do, we're not going to take the time to do it here this morning, although I, I'm still debating that in my mind, so we might actually still do it. But um, it's fascinating of all the details and the specifics that are given in that economy to tie it together. You see, the land was an inheritance that was divided among the 12 tribes of Israel. And this land, every 50 years, in the year of Jubilee, reverted back to the original tribal allotments. And so that's how it happened every 50 years. So land throughout this time would be bought and sold. In some cases, it would be sold because some people needed money because they were poor. And in sometimes it was mortgaged. And this would happen throughout this period of time. Now, what's fascinating about it is, so say someone needed some cash for a reason and they had a plot of land that they wanted to sell. Um, they couldn't just outright sell it because the land actually, it's spelled out here in the scriptures, belongs to God and he's the one who allots it. And, but if you did have some land that you wanted to sell because you needed, you needed funds for this or that, you would come and you would find someone who would buy your land. But they couldn't just buy it that it would be perpetually theirs. They would have to anticipate that when the year of Jubilee came, they would have to surrender it back to the original tribal allotments and family allotments that had been established previously or been established by Joshua. And so, in the deciding upon the purchase agreement, they would calculate how many years were left until the year of Jubilee. So if there was only two years left till Jubilee, you weren't going to get very much money for your land because it was all going to revert back within just two years. Now, if the year of Jubilee was just yesterday wrapped up, then you had now 50 years that land was very valuable. Very valuable for that. But then there was another piece of it, and this is also explained here in this chapter, and that has to do with how the poor were handled and the aspect of those who were in debt, not just those who had gone to sell property, but those who needed sustenance just to survive. And one of the ways that that took place was in selling of land. In other ways, it was actually of selling themselves. 
There were many occasions where people who would need and were destitute would need money, would need sustenance, would need to be cared for. And so what they would do is that they would actually sell themselves to be servants to others. And there's lots of laws here that are given that regulated this to protect it from abuse. But one of the greatest pieces of it was the year of Jubilee. Because when the year of Jubilee came, all debts were cleared. So when someone was writing a mortgage or someone was writing a debt or someone was selling themselves to pay off a debt, all of this was calculated into the fact anticipating the year of Jubilee. And so on the year of Jubilee, when those trumpets sounded, it, it wasn't just uh, some little holiday that happened in the capital city and, and didn't have any impact. It had major impact across the entire nation, as is described here, right here, especially in verse 10. Do you see what it says here? And ye shall hallow the 50th year. That means that 50th year is set apart. It is sacred. It is special. And this is what you're to do in that 50th year. You are to proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto a jubilee it's a joyous occasion and it was introduced with the blowing of the shofar the proclamation was made by the blowing of trumpets and there the idea of the jubilee comes imagine the joy that would be is that if your family had fallen into terrible and desperate times to the point where your children were starving and your daddy had to go and sell himself as a servant to provide for you as children and to provide even for himself. And now here came the year of Jubilee, and those debts are all erased, and daddy comes home. Can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine the celebrations that took place as this liberty was declared throughout the land. That's what it's describing here. For ye shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall return every man unto his family. This was indeed a jubilant, jubilant celebration in the nation of Israel. If we keep reading this chapter, there's another fascinating part about this. Here is the introdu introduction to this year of Jubilee. But did you know that you didn't always have to wait to the year of Jubilee? Did you know that? Sometimes there would be someone who would be destitute and poor. They would have nothing. They would sell themselves as a servant, as a slave. He used to be treated as a hired servant. But he would sell himself. And my, it could have been just happened where... The year of Jubilee is another 49 years away. A long time to be a servant, a slave, a, almost a lifetime. Provided here in this very law was another kind of Jubilee. It's referred to as the kinsman redeemer. It's where someone else, generally 
a kinsman, a relative, an uncle, a nephew, a family member, could come and pay your debt to redeem you. Now, do you think there would be a jubilee if that happened? What do you think? Yes, there would be. There would be enormous, exceeding joy and celebration. Our English word, jubilant, is the exclamation of joy. There would be that. So, how about for the Christian? Do you think that as Christians we have jubilees? Think about it. We don't live in the same economy. We do not live under the law of Moses. These laws do not apply to us. It doesn't mean, by the way, that we can't learn some things from it as, as our modern legislatures consider laws for the land. Um, but as a whole, and very specifically, we're not under the law. This doesn't apply. But there's some fascinating parallels because all of us, even though we're Americans, we are born in debt. And I'm not talking about the national debt. That's true too. But we're born as debtors to sin. We are born as sinners, both by inheritance and also by, as time goes by, personal actions and omissions. We're all sinners. Jesus said that whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, the slave of sin. We all have a bondage because of sin. Now, do you think there will be a jubilee when we are redeemed from that bondage? What do you think? You think there'll be a jubilee? You think there'll be exclamations of joy? Abundance of joy flowing through us that will cause oh, the song to come from our heart and through our mouths, both in song of singing as well as instrument, in praise and thanksgiving? Yes. When we are redeemed, it results in a personal jubilee. And by the way, you don't have to wait until you're 50 years old. The jubilee comes at the very moment that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the way, paid an enormous price, an enormous price, so that we could be redeemed. He redeemed us with his precious blood. And as we spend time considering our dreadfulness, our sinfulness, our state of lost hopelessness, and consider what he accomplished for us when he died for us on the cross and rose from the dead, there'll be a jubilee. In a sense, we celebrate a jubilee every single day. I hope we do as we give praise and as we exalt our Savior. Here, in Leviticus 25 and verse 10, this 50th year was established, and it was to proclaim liberty 
throughout all the land and unto all the inhabitants thereof. One of the key pieces is of our jubilee, of that time when we have been redeemed, when we have been bought back, and we exclaim in joy, jubilant joy, do you know what? We too can proclaim to others the hope that we have. Have you ever seen someone share the gospel with someone? Do you think you would be very effective sharing the gospel like this? Jesus died for your sins. You can have everlasting life. Now I'm being really silly, aren't I? Nobody would do that, would they? Oh, but how often do we just be quiet? Are we jubilant? Are we proclaiming the liberty that we have and that is available to our families, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to everyone? And do we proclaim it throughout all the land? One of the ways we do that is through music. One of the ways we do that is through music. Jubilant praise has been true throughout history. In fact, if we were to go back in history to the very, very beginning of time, on that very first day of creation, as the very foundations of the earth were being laid, do you know what we read was going on? There was a jubilee. Here in Job 38, verse 4, Job was asked this question by his creator. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare! If thou hast understanding, who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. There in the very beginning, the angels we're proclaiming the jubilee, the joyous exclamation of God's glory and power and majesty. And even in a sense, we know that even from that time, before the foundation of the world was laid, our redemption was in his plan. Even when everything was still yet perfect, yet albeit unformed on that first day, and by the end of that seventh day when everything was perfect, and sin had not yet come, our redemption was still in the plan. And even in that dreadful and terrible day when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate of that fruit, our redemption was in the plan. And so when that redemption comes true, does it result in our lives as a jubilee? Oh, yes, it does. But do we let it go forth in singing and in praise, music, to our God. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 4. Jesus described what he had come to do as the eternal Son of God made flesh. The eternal Word made flesh who came unto his own. He came this day in Luke chapter 4. He came to his hometown where he was known, where everyone had, had seen him grow up, knew who he was. And he went into the synagogue. And as a popular teacher, they gave him the opportunity to read from the Holy Scriptures on that day. 
And do you know what he chose to read? He chose to read a prophecy in the Old Testament that was about the Messiah. And the Jews had a special way of reading their scriptures publicly. It's actually something we might take more heed to is the simple reading of scriptures. They would read through their scriptures every year. And they had assigned sections of reading through their scriptures. And on this particular Sabbath day, there was an assigned section, like we have Bible reading schedules. And Jesus was the one honored that day to receive the Torah, the scroll, and be able to read. And so that's exactly what he did in his hometown. And he begins to read, if you look in verse 18, Luke chapter 4, 18, he is reading from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And he says, reads this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Well, to tell you a little bit ahead of the story, those in his very own hometown refused to accept this declaration, this proclamation. And by verse 28 and 29, they're wanting to take him out to a cliff and throw him to his death. And as you know, it wasn't his time to die, and so he just passed right through the midst of them and escaped. But what was he declaring and why did they fasten on him and give him such attention when he sat down? Well, he quoted, he read this, this messianic prophecy, this prophecy of the Messiah, of what the Christ would do. And then he didn't finish it, though, because there was an assigned reading and, and there was more to what was to be read. But he just abruptly stopped in it. And it was their custom that they would stand when reading the Holy Scriptures and then when they would preach or they would teach or comment on the scriptures, they would sit down. So here on this day, there was this assigned reading, this particular scheduled reading, and he, he doesn't finish the reading, and he sits down. And everybody started paying attention. And they started thinking, what did he just say? And they're looking at him. And as he begins to teach, the very first words he declares to them is what I have just read. Is fulfilled today. He was declaring to them that he was the Messiah. And do you see what the Messiah is described here as? The Messiah is described here as a redeemer. He is the one who is described here as one to bring liberty to them. And what horrifies me is that the response ought to have been jubilee. 
There ought to have been a shout of joy, exclamations of joy. There ought to have been the blowing of trumpets. The Christ is here. The one who has come to set us at liberty is here. But what did they do instead? They tried to throw him over a cliff and to kill him. You see the opposites? I hope and pray that each one of you here have or will very soon received this liberty. And when you do, let it be proclaimed abroad. And one great way you can do that is by singing. All about the liberty in the year of Jubilee, the whole name of it all tied back to the, the musical proclamation of the joyous occasion. So we ought to do the same and respond in joy. And if this morning you have not received Jesus Christ, you have not received the forgiveness of your sins and have not received everlasting life that Jesus made possible when he rose from the dead, believe on him today. And this joyous exaltation can be real in your life. Don't be like those in Nazareth. May it result in singing. But it's not just true of the old Jubilee in the Old Testament. If we go all the way to the very end of the Bible, we find a group of people who, when they are asking the question of who is the one who is worthy to open the book, do you remember what the answer to that question was? There was praise. There was a new song that was sung as Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was declared as the one worthy. The song that our Jubilee brass played, was Jesus paid it all? What an incredible song to be played on the Jubilee. The very declaration that our debts are paid. All of them. And it was all done by Jesus. Let us praise his name. It says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And the last verse of that song ended, And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat, Jesus paid it all. Let us every day, every day go forth in praise, praising our Savior. Let our lips repeat, repeat the jubilee. Turn with me back to one of the great songs in our Bibles, Psalm 95. Psalm 95. Many psalms. I had a hard time picking them. In fact, I've got a whole list of them here, and um, 
We could pick any one of them. For the Psalms are filled with calls for God's people, for God's saints to sing, to sing in praise and glory and honor to God. And so as we consider the theme of Jubilee, O come, Psalm 95, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he hath made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. I hope that those last two phrases there are true for each one of you, that indeed you are one of his sheep. And if you are, let us come before him with singing and praise, with jubilee. He paid it all. We're free. What a celebration that we can proclaim through singing and praise to our God in testimony to one another and in testimony to the lost sheep of the world, all using music, music. What a glorious, glorious, wonderful thing God has given us in music to his praise, glory, and honor, as well as even to our own exaltation, or not exaltation, exhortation, as we ourselves are encouraged and encourage one another in testimony of praise. This has led us to do something special this afternoon. We, from time to time, have times of favorites. And this afternoon, we're going to do something where we're going to do lots of singing. And um, there's some of you who have requested that they, we sing some arrangements of some choral pieces. Um, and one of the particular people can't be here today, but um, and we'll do it another time. That's an excuse I get to do it another time. But um, some, some of you, for one reason or another, can't be a part of one of the ensembles or part of a choir um, or may not have the, enough uh, within your family to be able to put together an arrangement. And so we're going to all gather together and we're going to have a congregational choir. Now, the truth is, we have a standing choir. And you might say, wait a minute, the choir only sings a few times a year. And you're right, but you're not right. See, the real choir in this church is the whole congregation. This is the real choir, is the whole congregation. It's, it's not about only the people who come up here and are professionals, if any of us are professionals, uh, you know, who sing up here in praise. Oh, no, no. It's all of us. And so even in this idea, we would like to encourage and, and develop all of our skill and ability and not just for some measure of becoming more professional. No, 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 no. But in true praise to our God. This is a choir. We are a choir. And we are a jubilee. Every week we sing, we are the jubilee. And that's why music is such a beautiful piece of worship 
and of the fellowship of believers as it unifies us together in reminding us and calling us to bring forth in singing the praise of our God. Can any of you play this? I've tried. It's tough to play. It's tough to play. But you know what's fascinating? We can all make a joyful noise. We can all make a joyful noise. I've known many people throughout the years who really couldn't carry a tune. But you know what? They still sang. That's one of the beautiful parts of the congregational choir is because we all kind of blend together. And it's about praising our God. You might say, well, I'm one of those guys, I'm tone deaf, I can't sing at all. Oh, but you can still. I had a friend who, who really, truly was tone deaf, and it was very hard to sing around him, but he still sang. And every time I sang around him, it was hard for me to stay on tune, but yet at the same time, I was encouraged. You know why? Because he was singing heartily as unto the Lord, doing his very best there was a real jubilee in his heart. Sometimes the most professional singer can sing and be spot on and technique be just perfect, but there's no jubilee. Let us have the jubilee in the heart and let it flow forth from our lips in praise to our God. There in Psalm chapter 35, turn over the page to Psalm 98. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth hath seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Sing unto the Lord with the harp, with the harp and with the voice of a psalm, with trumpets and the sound of the cornet. Make a joyful noise before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof and the world and they that dwell therein. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. For he cometh to judge the earth. With righteousness shall he judge the world and the people with equity. We sometimes live in a world that we're not quite sure where it's going and what's happening. You see this psalm? This is a messianic psalm looking to the day when Christ actually is going to come and take away all those things that cast us down and pull us down. And you know what? It's not saying that we will sing. This is a psalm that has been sung for 3,000 years in anticipation of what yet still has not come. It is yet at least seven years off. Here, it is about singing, looking to that day when Jesus Christ will come to this earth and reign. All the things that pull us down and make us not want to sing will be removed one day. In anticipation of that day, let us sing. In fact, in Revelation, that passage I just referred to a few moments ago, of that, the, 
the saint singing that, that song, and the end of that song is a final climax also anticipating the fact that Jesus is coming back and he's going to make all things new. It's a celebration of that. So even when we're downhearted and cast down and oppressed, let us sing. Great God, we give thanks to you this day for who you are. We give thanks that you have redeemed us. We have something to be jubilant about. May our lips always be filled with jubilee in praise and in exaltation of you. Lord, we need you every hour. We face burdens and trials and difficulties, but in those, Lord, may each of us refocus our eyes upon you and your greatness and your glory and your redemption and break forth in joyful exaltation. Break forth in jubilee. Lord Jesus, we give ourselves to you. We praise you. You alone are worthy of praise. And we commit ourselves to you in Christ's name. Amen.